Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. You know, missions has always been a fundamental part of who we are as a church. Calvary has, since its very beginning, focused on how God would want to use us to reach the world. Today, I'm excited that you're going to hear from Leah Loran, our Serve Director. Leah served for over 12 years as a missionary, seven of those in South Africa, and has served as our Serve Director, reaching not only our community, but now helping us to love the world. I know that today she has an encouraging word for us about what God would have for us to do. Would you give a great big Calvary welcome to our Serve Director, Leah Loran. Well, good morning, everybody. How's it going? Good. Well, it is wonderful to be here. Thank you, Pastor Chad, for your nice words. Um, It is an honor to serve with such an amazing team, Um, but it's also an honor to get to serve with so many of you because so much of what I get to do is rallying the troops and saying, hey, guys, come follow me. Let's go love the 409, Um, and now let's go love the world. So thank you so much to each one of you who take time out of your day to help us to love the 409. It is an honor to get to work with you and to get to spend all that time with you. And so today I want to talk a little bit about missions because it is our annual missions week. And so when we talk about missions, it is an important part of who we are at Calvary. Um, At Calvary, it has been part of our history for many, many years, for decades, to be a part of what the Lord is doing around the world. And so we like to take a time to pause during our busy schedules, um, during a busy calendar, and to push pause on the things that we do and to take time to celebrate missions and to pray for missions. When you came in today, you received this card, and I hope that you will hang on to it um, partially because it will remind you to pray, but also because on the back it has all of the different ways that you can join us this week as we hear from our missionaries, um, as we eat some yummy food, and as we hear what God is doing around the world. Um, We have three missionaries that are joining us this week, and I'm excited for you to hear their stories and to learn more about them. Um, If you have questions or you would like to get signed up, please stop in the hub afterwards. We would love to make sure that we get you connected. You know, a lot of times when we talk about missionaries, there's kind of like this sense of awe, um, amazement, because to a lot of us, it's um, it's very foreign to our understanding. And so we think of missionaries as kind of these superheroes. And the thing about missionaries is, they're just normal people like you and I. Don't get me wrong, they are amazing people. They've given up, uh, many of them have given up their whole life to go and do what God's called them to do. But at the end of the day, they're just normal people. Uh, They don't have superpowers, right? They still get on an airplane like you and I and fly to their country. They're not like super, superman. Is he the one that flies? (laughs) Just fly there like a bullet. Although I think not having to do layovers would be way easier. And they don't have a magic carpet bag like Mary Poppins. They have to pack all those suitcases, although I've lived out of suitcases, and a magic carpet bag would be a way better deal than having to haul that luggage with you. But they're just normal people like you and I. I wish that I could put you guys all on planes and send you off with them to go to South Africa or to Eurasia, uh, to go to Estonia, because I would love you to see the relationships that they're building. I would love you to see the miracles that they get to see and to meet the children that they work with. But most of all, I would love you to see that they're just normal people like you and I. Uh, They're people who have families and they have family issues. They're people with medical challenges. They're people who have kids to get up in the morning and beds to be made. They're people who worry about their waistline but just want a brownie. 
And they're people who wake up some mornings and just don't want to be an adult. They are normal people, just like you and I. But if they're normal people, like you and I, and they're all out there doing what they're doing, and we're all sitting here, what is the difference? What makes the difference between a missionary? And that biggest difference is that they chose to say yes to the things that God called them to do. They said yes. And so saying yes is not always easy. And I think it's a skill that we have to practice over time and something that we have to learn how to do when we hear that voice, when we feel that nudge from the Lord, that instead of you know, putting our fingers in our ears and saying, la, 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 <laughs> that we listen to that voice and choose to say yes. And so today, what I thought I would do is we're gonna, we're gonna learn about four normal people and hear their normal stories and see the four things that they can teach us as we learn to be better at saying yes. So today, let's open our Bibles. We are going to start in the book of John, and if you have one of those paper Bibles, you can flip to John 6. If you have one of those electric ones, you can swipe to John 6. In John 6, we read about when Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Guys, This is a huge miracle. This is what Facebook posts and viral YouTube videos are made of, right? If YouTube and Feeding of the 5,000 existed in the same day and age, I can guarantee you, you would have seen it on the news or maybe in your Facebook feed or somewhere else, you would have seen a video of 5,000 people being fed. And can you even imagine what that's like? I was thinking about this during first service. Even a good caterer has a hard time feeding 5,000 people. It's just a lot of people. And so if we look at what's going on in this story, they are out in the middle of nowhere. This huge crowd has followed Jesus. They've been hearing about Jesus, hearing about his miracles, and they wanted to know more. And so they followed him out into this very desolate area. There's not a Kroger on the corner or a... Panera. So they're getting hungry. The time of, of day has come to, you know, dinner time, and they're trying to figure out what are we going to do. And so we know that this is an important story because we see it in all four of the Gospels. And so today we're going to read about it in John. So John 6, 1 through 14, let's read and remember what was happening at this time. So sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee The great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for all of these people? And he asked him only to test him because he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, it would take more than a year's wages to buy enough bread to even give them one bite. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Well, here's a boy. He's got five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far is that going to go amongst so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. And Jesus took the loaves, and he gave thanks, and he distributed them to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. And when they had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, and let nothing be wasted." And so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the signs Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And so we read this story and you hear about this little boy, but let's talk about this little boy for a minute. I think this little boy was probably not there on his own. He probably had come with his family. 
And so you have just this very normal family who's been following the Lord because they hear of the miracles he's doing and they want to know more. And I can imagine that they're kind of sitting close enough that Jesus and the disciples are just a little ways over so they can hear what's going on. They can hear Jesus and the disciples. There's no food. They're hungry. What are we going to do? We don't have anything. And so the mom, the dad, the son, they can hear these things. And I imagine this mom is thinking to herself, well, I got five pieces of bread and two fish, but I have my own family to feed. I've got kids and my husband, and I can kind of feel like maybe she's just slowly pushing it behind her. And maybe if I just, you know, covered up ever so slightly, no one will notice that we have some food. And I can just imagine her thinking, we have to get just a little bit further into the day, and then I'll start sneaking them the food. But what she doesn't know is that her normal little son can also hear the conversation that's going on. And so before she knows it, the little boy grabs the basket, runs over to the disciples, squishes in between Philip and Andrew, and shoves the basket up in the air and says, here, you can have this. And can you imagine this poor mom? Oh, what have you done? This is our only food for the whole day. And God, you know, he didn't need that little boy to show up. And he didn't need him to bring that food. Leading up into this day, he's been doing miracles all over the place. And so I think that the Lord easily could have just made it happen. And, you know, he doesn't need us to show up either, but he wants us to. And he wants us to be a part of the things he's doing in this world. And so this little boy, he didn't have much, but he gave what he had. And so we can use him to learn our first lesson. And our first lesson is to offer what we have. Everywhere in the world, there is need, right? Sometimes that need is right here in our own backyard, maybe in America somewhere. Sometimes the need is so far away that it's hard to even understand or imagine because it's so far from where we are. But sometimes this need can get really overwhelming. I don't personally like to think about the need very much because you start to go down this rabbit hole and you can think of all the kids who aren't being fed in the world and all the kids who don't have moms and dads or the war-torn countries, and it's very easy to start getting overwhelmed. Who am I? What do I have that can fix this? Even this week, as we are watching stories come from the Bahamas, as we're watching videos come, what an overwhelming amount of need that they have. And at the beginning, when the hurricane hit, I was like, all right, guys, we can do something. We can make a difference. And then the more times I watch videos, I'm like, I, I don't know what we can do because the need is so great. Uh, the other day I was watching a video on CNN and they have a reporter in a boat, they have a camera guy and they're heading out to a part of the island uh, that's a little bit more remote. They're going out to see if they can find, you know, who's still there, what houses are still there, kind of what's happening. And as they're going down the shoreline and out in the water, the cameraman kind of pans down into the water. Um, it's a whole different kind of water than we're used to. You can actually see through it. So it's not like the Maumee River. It's a different thing. You can see down into the water. And it's amazing because what they're seeing in the water is cars just lining the bottom of the ocean because they've been thrown out there in the middle of the storm. And I think, I don't own a boat with a crane on it. And if anyone has a boat with a crane, you give me a call later because I got an idea. But the need is so great. How can we fix that though? And so the Lord asks us to join him in the work. He doesn't ask us to have all the answers, and he doesn't ask us to be able to fix everything, but he asks us just to say yes and to offer what we have. And what, what we have to give might not seem like enough. That little boy and his mom probably didn't feel like their five pieces of bread and their two fish was enough, 
but that lesson can teach us to just offer what we have. And so now that we've been in the New Testament, let's flip to the Old Testament, and we're going to look at the book of Ruth and the story of Ruth. Um, Ruth is important. She gets her own book, which I think shows you that her story is worth looking at. And if you're not familiar, here's a little recap. So we have Ruth. Well, but let's go back. We have a family, Naomi's family. They're just a normal family. We have a mom and a dad and two boys. They live in Judea, but there's a great famine. And for many years, they struggle. And they finally say, that's it. We've got to go. So they pack up, and they move to Moab. And in Moab, they find a place to live, and they build a little house. They buy some little sheep, and they just start doing life there. And soon enough... Their little boys turn into men and meet some cute ladies down the street, and they get married. And so life is just kind of going on as normal. But this family starts to have some struggles and starts to have some bad things happen. And first, the dad passes away, and then both of the sons die. And now we're left with a mother and her two daughter-in-laws. And the mom, she's broken, and she's empty. She has lost her sons and her husband They're in a land that is not their own. And so she decides, you know, it's time to go home. It's time for me to go back to where I came from. She says to the two young girls, you know, this has been great, but you need to stay here. This is where you're from. This is where your families are from. And she encourages them to go back and to be with their families. And so let's pick up and read in the book of Ruth, the first chapter, starting in verse 1. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. You know, at first, both daughter-in-laws are like, no, 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 Naomi, like, we're, we're here. We're in it for the long haul. We're going to stay with you. And she again tells them all the reasons why they should leave. And so daughter-in-law one, she relents, and she says, oh, okay. That, that sounds, uh, you're right. And she says her goodbyes and she heads back to her home. But daughter-in-law too, she's like putting her foot down. I am not going anywhere. And so we read starting in verse 16. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. That's like superhero stuff to me, that you're willing to go and to stay with your mother-in-law. But we have to remember that Ruth was just a normal girl. (laughs) Ruth is a normal girl who is wanting to stay with her mother-in-law But she is still grieving. She's grieving the loss of her husband, her father, her brother-in-law. She is grieving, and her whole world has been flipped upside down. But she's just a normal girl. Some might say she was a small-town girl living in a lonely world. But she was ready to go on a journey. She She was a Moabite. We have to remember this, too. She was a Moabite. And so Moabites, if she goes with her mother-in-law back to Judea, she will be a foreigner. She will not belong there. So she's leaving everything she knows, everyone she knows. And when a Moabite moves back to Judea, the next problem is they're, they're not very friendly to the Moabites. 
And so she's gonna have to deal with things like discrimination, people who are angry that she's there and maybe who are aggressive towards her. And so she has a big decision to make. They also had nothing. So when they're leaving Moab and going back to Judea, they know that they're walking into a situation where they're going to be reliant on other people to take care of her. These are all super good reasons for Ruth to just listen to what Naomi had to say, to just listen and say, you're right, I'm going to stay here and go home. But none of these reasons swayed her, and they all made her stick to her guns. And so Ruth said yes, and that sacrifice changed her life. And so the second thing that we can learn from our second normal person is that we need to give even when it's not expected. And Ruth, she chose to give her life. She chose to give everything she knew to follow Naomi, and no one expected her to do that. And I don't know if you saw this week, there was a story um, that, you know, kind of hit my, hit my news feed, and it was about a little boy. He's eight years old in South Carolina, and he has a birthday coming up uh, this past couple weeks. And the, the deal was, the plan that was made was that he'd been saving all of his money to go to the happiest place on earth, Disney. He wanted to meet Mickey for his birthday. And so the deal was, if you save up your money, and then when you get your birthday money, we'll have enough money and we can go to Disney. And so as every seven about to become eight-year-old is fairly excited for this opportunity. But then Dorian comes, and Dorian starts moving towards them. And, you know, we all kind of know the path that Dorian took. And so sooner than later, the people in South Carolina are getting a little nervous, and they start evacuating from the shore, moving more inland. Well, where this little boy and his family live, they live in a place they didn't have to evacuate, but a lot of people who are leaving the coast come past their home. And so he says to his mom and to his grandma, you know what, I don't want to go to Disney anymore. I want to take my birthday money and buy food so that we can feed these people who are evacuating because they're leaving everything and they need something to be given to them. This is what the reporter says that he said. These people, they are traveling and going to other places, and I wanted them to have some food to eat so that they can enjoy the ride to the place that they're going to stay. Jermaine told local reporters, I want to live to give. And so if that doesn't make you feel convicted when an eight-year-old is telling you, no, 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 tell Mickey, I'll see him another time because I want to live to give. They went out and bought hot dogs and chips and cookies and lemonade. And then one day, from him standing on the side of the road holding, holding his sign, they fed over 100 people that were leaving the coast and moving inland to get away from this hurricane. And I think, is there a better example of giving when it's not expected? The truth is that giving, even when it's not expected, is the easiest way to be a missionary right here in your own town to look around and find ways that you can bless others. And these can be big things, but they can also be small things. It can even be leaving the quarter in the cart at Aldi. You never know who that's going to bless, right? Have you ever gotten there and seen the quarter and you're like, yes, somebody blessed me today. All right, let's go back to the New Testament. We're gonna flip back to the other end of the Bible to the book of Luke. One of the guys that sticks out the most to me when it comes to a normal dude who was living his normal life and said yes to was the Good Samaritan. And so many of us know this story, but I want to think about it today from the Good Samaritan's point of view. You know, it's just a normal day. 
And Mr. Mr. Samaritan, he's not good yet, so we just call him Mr. Samaritan. Mr. Samaritan is just minding his own business, heading down the road. Maybe he's going to work. Uh, maybe his wife gave him one of those giant shopping lists, and he's headed to the grocery store, and he has a job to do. And so he's just being normal, doing his normal day, walking down the street. And I'd like to think that while he's walking down the street, he can kind of see what's starting to happen up here. You know, he can tell there's some murmurings, there's some things going on. I even wonder if he could see the other guys who got to our, our, our victim, our friend, and then moved over to the other side of the road. So let's see what's happening. We are going to start in Luke 10 and pick up the story in verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed to the other side. So too the Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. And so while Mr. Samaritan is wandering down the road, and he can see these other guys who have moved over to avoid whatever is happening up there, it's now his turn. He's come far enough down the road that he is upon the scene. And it kind of reminds me of like that opening scene of Law and Order where like they find the victim. It's like the, my least part, favorite part of the show, I always like cover my eyes. But this is what he finds. He finds a man who's been beaten, who's been left to die, who's naked and is bloody and needs somebody to care for him. And he's just lying there. And so now the Samaritan, he has to make a decision. He has to make a choice in this moment. The scripture make it seem like it was a no-brainer. Kind of makes it seem like, he walked up, saw the man, threw him on his donkey, and off they went to the inn. But I have a feeling that there was a lot more going on than that. Let's read now in Luke 10, starting in verse 33. But the Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring out oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to the inn and took care of him. This is no easy decision. The Samaritan, he had no business helping a Jewish man. In those times, they were enemies. And so this would be causing him to go against everything that he's probably been taught his entire life to do. And I think there's a lot of inner dialogue going on in his head. What should I do? This isn't my job. Like, I'm not the, I'm not the guy who does this. And like, what would people say if they knew that I had helped this guy? And then I think what I would be thinking is, is this a trick? Are there people waiting for me that as soon as I start helping, I'm going to be the next victim? And so what's crazy is that the Samaritan isn't even the religious one in the story. He's like the furthest one who should be saying yes. But that's not what happened that day. He was a normal guy who took time out of his life to help somebody else. And he said yes. So what I think we can learn from our friend, the Good Samaritan, is that God wants us to say yes, even when loving someone is uncomfortable. Who does God have in your life that is uncomfortable to love? Is it the person who knows how to push all your buttons? Like they have the map, they know exactly where they are. Or is it the person whose life is so different than yours that you can't even begin to understand them? You don't know how to reach out to them or how to interact with them because they're so different from you. We don't have to look far before we can find that person that is uncomfortable to love. 
Hopefully they're not sitting next to you right now. (laughs) But all in our lives, there are people who challenge us to love them. Now, sometimes I know it can be hard to feel like these stories are relevant in our life. People from the Bible, Ruth, and the little boy with the bread, the Good Samaritan, they lived so long ago that sometimes their culture and the things that they did are so different from us. So I want us to learn our last point from a very normal guy who lives right here in Ohio. Growing up, my grandpa always picked me up from school. And on the day that they found out, my mom and dad picked me up from school. And I was like, this is weird. Mom and dad both work. Why are they picking me up? I had a three-year-old daughter and an eight-year-old daughter. And it was terrifying. Um, My doctor, I asked, I said, why did I, I mean, is there a reason? He said, no. He said, you ever seen that bumper sticker, stuff happens? This happens to be one of those. And we're driving home, and I will always remember this. My dad was like, Abby, we gotta, we gotta talk to you about something. And he goes, have you ever heard the word cancer before? I was like, yeah, you know, so-and-so's grandma had it once. And he goes, well, I have it. And that was awful. And I said, well, what are we gonna do? And he said, well, I, t- I can guarantee that we're gonna do everything we can, and I'm gonna do everything I can so you can walk your daughters down the aisle. I said, it's that serious? And he goes, yeah, it's that serious. Because you think of people who are older than you when you're, when you're 10 years old, you think of grandmas and grandpas, and you don't think of your very young, very healthy, very agile, very adventurous dad being sick. It was stage four right off, right out of the gate. We had little girls at home and it completely wrecked our world at that time, but we had to, you, don't, you almost don't have time to think. You just keep going and you take care of things. He never complained. He never, we like to say he never plays the C card. Like genuinely, he never says, oh, I can't, I have cancer or like. But after that first time, we thought that would be it. And he rallied and taught and coached and um, came through it. There's been four other rounds since then now. And uh, at one point, the doctors told my mom, you know, hey, you better get the family together to have everything planned. Um, When he went in the hospital that time, we didn't think he was coming out. And I ended up in um, life support for over 10 days in the ICU. They had given me, I didn't know what was going on. They had given me a 2% chance of living. You know, we just, we'd have these reprieves where we thought, everything's gonna be fine, he's beat this, and then it would rear its ugly head again and he would be diagnosed again, so. I am here by the grace of God. When he found out that this mission trip was gonna be in June, he texted all of us right away, I'm going, I'm going on this. Every time I've heard some trip coming up, I've always been, God wants me to do this someday, I gotta do this. and. Because I'm a school teacher, most of the mission trips are during the school year. He, he likes to go explore places, but never internationally. I can't tell you, I don't think I've ever known him to get on a plane and fly somewhere. He'd only flown one other time prior to the Peru trip, and it was to um, Chicago. So <laughs> From he, Detroit. From Detroit, yeah. <laughs> so he wasn't a savvy traveler, and I'm like trying to tell him, you know, how to get through security, you're gonna have to take your shoes off, you're gonna have to do all these things, you're gonna have to put things in different buckets and the people behind you are not gonna be patient. It was a little, little shocking, but he was so excited from the minute, so how could you not be happy and excited for him? And right before he left for Peru, um, 
it just felt like there was a heaviness at our house and everything that you could imagine was going on at that time that should have made it impossible for Vince to go to Peru. What most people didn't know, and I did tell my group, is that uh, in March of this year, for the fifth time I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And my doctor, first thing I said to him is like, what are we gonna do? And he said, we're just, believe it or not, gonna wait and see until July. And I said to him, are you serious? Normally we do something right away. And he said, no, we're gonna, they're so small and there's so few of the tumors, because we caught it really early, we're gonna wait. And I looked at him and said, can I go to Peru? And he said, I don't see why you can't go to Peru. He was supposed to go to Peru. He was supposed to go on this trip. He was supposed to be with these children and these people. He was very disappointed about one thing on the trip and that was they had a rain day where they couldn't work on the church. I have never seen him more joy-filled or um, overflowing with gratitude to be able to go on a trip or like in any time of his life. He was so happy when he came back. And every night we got updates with the food that he ate, how many bricks they laid, uh, the kids that he met, their names, um, and the pictures that he would send us. I've never seen him smile that big. He couldn't believe that the townspeople would come and watch them work, and then they wanted to work too because they wanted to be part of it. And I think it just taught him more about humanity and um, that people can have so little and be so joyful. It is definitely life-changing. My wife laughs, because every time we meet somebody that I haven't talked to the trip about, I pull out my phone and start showing pictures of what we did and who we met and the communities that we were in. And without us going there and helping the missionaries that we support, who then can go do their job better, it's not gonna get done. And, is, and we have been instructed to go out and preach the gospel, and it's gotta get done. He talked a lot about like the joy of those kids in their conditions. And I'm like, look at your joy in your condition. Like he doesn't see that in himself. And it's so easy to see how good and gracious God is. Because you see the people that my dad is impacting and how far his story has gone. And we're seeing it now. And we're so lucky to be able to see how God's goodness through all of this bad is being played out right now. Most people don't get to see that. I always say, when you're in the presence of Vince Moraga, you're in the presence of a miracle. Vince amazes me for so many reasons, but the one that really sticks out is that when life got tough, when things got complicated, um, things were very uncertain, when he had every right to sit down, to throw in the towel, he did not. He decided to say yes to the things that God was calling him to do. And so the fourth lesson that we learn from our fourth very normal person is that we need to learn to not make excuses. What excuse are you making today that's keeping you from changing the life of somebody else? Vince and his wife are here with us today. Can you guys stand up? <laughs> this is the part they're not looking forward to. <laughs> guys, we are so thankful that you are part of our family, and in turn, we're part of your family. 
And so Vince, we're glad that you um, said yes to the things that God asked you to do this summer. Um, and so you heard in the video, Vince is still living with cancer right now for the fifth time in his life. And um, we're going to pray for him because we know that God is a healing and miraculous God. And so church family, when I pray, could you please just reach out a hand if you're close by, maybe lay a hand on his shoulder. And won't you pray with me today? Lord, we thank you so much that before, before anyone knew us, that you knit us together, you had a plan for Vince's life. And we are so thankful for the way that you made him, Lord, the man of God that you created him to be. And today we ask for healing. Lord, we ask that your hand would be on his body in such a powerful way. Lord, we are so thankful for the stories and the testimony that he already can share but we pray that this would continue as he speaks with doctors and with nurses, Lord, as they um, see the miracle that's taken place in his body, we ask for a miracle again. Lord, I pray that you would be with his family through all these uh, just situations in time, Lord God, that you would continue to just make their faith strong, Lord. We give you all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Vince, thank you so much uh, for being faithful. And later, if you want, uh, he'll be in the atrium and you can see pictures of Peru on his phone. <laughs> He'll swipe you through the whole trip, so stop out and find Vince. 18 years ago, God asked me to say yes, and um, I'd been on a few short-term mission trips. I had gone a couple places with Calvary um, as our youth group, and so I had, I had checked off my missions box, but I felt like the Lord was asking me to go again, uh, but this time I could tell he was asking me to go for a little bit longer. Um, I heard of a program that would be for a year, a whole year, it was so long. And I decided that this is, I think, where the Lord's telling me to go. But I wasn't sure what this would look like, and I had never planned on leaving Toledo. It wasn't on my grand scheme of things. And so I said yes and started to make some plans. Um, I thought traveling was pretty cool, you know? You get those suitcases with the wheels on them, so that's pretty fancy. And I knew telling people about Jesus was super cool, so I thought, well, if we can do those two things together, then this is a pretty good deal. I remember standing on the stage in our old church uh, this, my last Sunday before I was getting ready to leave the first time, and, um, and you guys prayed for me and sent me off, and I remember standing there looking at everybody and thinking, I have no idea what I'm doing, and I didn't know how to be a missionary. I, I didn't know how to, to tell all those kids about Jesus, and I was feeling very overwhelmed. Um, when I left home, I'd never left home before, and so we packed up my things, and I went to Florida, where the organization was that I went with. We would come all together as a team. Uh, we spent a couple of weeks practicing dramas and skits, things that we would do in the schools to tell the kids about Jesus, and then we loaded up, and we would head overseas. I was going to Eastern Europe, which I knew nothing about. I kind of knew where it was, um, and so we were ready to go, and then 9-11 happened, and so I'm in Florida, alone for the first time with my family, you know, so far away in Ohio, and the whole world is gone crazy. You know, that was a very uncertain time for so many people in so many ways for our whole world, but for this normal girl from Ohio who did not know what to do next, it was a very overwhelming time. I remember calling my dad and talking to him, and he was like, nope, you're coming home. This is way too dangerous. Like, you cannot do this. We do not know what's going on in the world. But I knew that the Lord had so clearly told me that I was supposed to go, and I'd already said yes. You know, I don't think you're supposed to, like, take your yeses back from the Lord. And so I decided to go. I could have made excuses. I had a really good one. We did not know what was going to happen in the world at that point. 
And I could have said, I'm really young, like I, I shouldn't be doing this. And I could have come home, but I didn't. And I said yes, I got on that airplane and went to Eastern Europe. And that year turned into two years, which turned into five years and then turned into like 12 years somehow. But I'm so glad that I said yes, not because of all the places that I've been able to go or the people that I've met, but because of the thousands of kids that I've had a chance to stand in front of to tell about Jesus, some maybe for the first time, and to plant those seeds and to give them God's word. Um, And what a cool opportunity that never would have happened if I would have made excuses and not said yes. So today we've met our four individuals, our four normal people, and we have heard our four good lessons. We've learned that to say yes to things, we have to offer what we have. We need to give even when it's not expected of us to give. We need to love others when it's uncomfortable, and we need to learn to not make excuses. And sometimes it can be hard to like start making these changes in our lives. Like we might look at all this and go, yes, that's what I'm going to do. But when we need to start making those changes to start changing the way we live life, it can be a little hard sometimes. So I, I came up with three easy steps. So if you haven't written anything else down yet, this is the stuff you write down, okay? So three easy ways to start practicing to say yes to God. Number one is to pray. And we're going to pray that God will show me what I can offer others. Pray that he will help you to give even when it's not expected. Pray that he will give you someone to love that makes you uncomfortable. Just remember when you pray, things happen. So be prepared for that. And that he would strengthen you to not make excuses. So those are the things we're going to pray for. The second easy step is to give. Figure out what you have to offer. It might be a smile. Look for ways each day to give when people aren't expecting it. When you finish mowing your yard, just mosey on over and mow the next yard. They're never expecting it. Surprise them. Take a cupcake to that person you don't like loving very much. I feel like sugar helps to smooth the edges. Maybe take two cupcakes, one for them and one for you for doing a good job, for loving people that are hard to love. And then every time you make an excuse, give a dollar to missions. I think this is the best way for us to raise money for missions, because you know we all make excuses all the time. And then the third easy step is to go. So you're going to pray, you're going to give, and then you're going to go. Go across the street and care for somebody. Come with us when we serve one of our monthly meals in the inner city of Toledo. Or go on a short-term mission trip. Just like Vince did, it will change your life. 2020 can be your year. Where will you go? God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, uh, regardless of talent, experience, interests. I am a completely different person than I was before I left, and I think I'm a better mother. I think I'm a better friend. I think, I think I'm better to myself. We have so much to be thankful for. It, we take for granted every day, so going really helps to change your perspective, helps you to kind of reset yourself and focus on the things that truly are important here and not worry about the things that really don't matter. Yes, I'm a Christian, I'm reading the Bible, I'm learning about these things, but to actually go on the missions trip and actually work God's plan and actually do missions, you actually see it and you live it. And that's another 
It's just another thing entirely different. I can tell you right now, I will go on another missions trip. There's not a question about it. I just encourage people that it's life-changing. Everywhere I go, it's something different, you know? And I leave a piece of myself there and take some of that home with me each and every time. My mind is blown. I am forever changed. You need to go because it's not only life-changing, but it brings a new perspective. You need to go. This next year, we have some amazing opportunities to give in ways that we have never given. Next Sunday, you'll see on your card, we have an information meeting during our third service. So if any of these trips look interesting to you, you'd like to know more information, if you feel that nudging from God saying, hey, this is your time, come learn more about the places that we're going, the people that we're working with, and the things that we're doing, um, and come and learn to say yes. Would you guys stand with me today? I want to take a few minutes as we wrap up to pray for our missionaries. We are... We are so honored to partner with over 160 missionaries and organizations every month that are doing the work of the Lord, that are all around this world, telling people about Jesus and saving lives. And it is an honor that we get to be a part of that. Because of what you guys give, we're able to give to them. And then I wanna pray for this week. Uh, as we talk about missionaries who are coming to be here and uh, some of these events that we get to have, I want to pray that this week is not only an opportunity for us to be filled up, for us to hear and for us to be challenged, but that we can love on our missionaries, that we can help to bless them and refresh them as they spend time with us. And then lastly, I want to pray for you and for me, that we can learn to say yes to God in all of these times when it's a little hard, that we can learn to offer what we have that we can learn to say yes as we love those that are a little uncomfortable to love, that we can learn to say yes when we give, when it's unexpected, and that we can learn to not make excuses. So would you pray with me today? Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord, that we get to come together every week to worship you and to dig into your word. Lord, as we walk into this missions week, we want to take a moment to pause to say thank you for the partnerships that you have allowed us to be a part of. Lord, I pray for each and every one of our missionaries, for the organizations that we support each month. Lord, I pray that right now, Lord, wherever they are, that you would just bring a refreshing anointing. Lord, that they would know that you are in this fight with them as they are on the battle lines in countries that are uncomfortable, in places the gospel is not favored. Lord, that you are right there with them. We pray for safety and security, for health, for everyone in their family. And Lord, I bring this week to you. Lord, as we go into our missions week, I pray that you would allow us to be changed. Open our hearts, Lord God. Soften the walls that maybe we've built up. Lord, open our eyes to the things that you are calling us to do. And I pray that as we, as we do this, Lord, that you would allow us to learn to say yes. And so I pray for myself. I pray for my brothers and sisters that are here today. Lord God, help us to say yes to you to the things that you're asking us to do. And Lord, when it's uncomfortable or it's hard, Lord, that you would be our strength in those things. We give you all of these things and ask for you to be with us each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I look forward to seeing you this week during our mission stuff. Have a great Sunday.